Well, good evening, Emmaus Way. I want everyone to check out my fancy shoes and pants. Yeah. Woo! It's just for you and the Calvary people I preached at this morning. Just those two things. I did it for those two reasons. Uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, I think I know most of you. Joel, I don't remember your mom's name. Chris. Delighted to see you again. I think that may be our, our visiting face tonight. Um, but yeah, welcome to Emmaus Way. We're in the sort of final week of five, uh, kicking off this fall, talking about tables um, and reflecting on that in a broader sense as a way to bear witness to the realities of our world and try in the midst of that to find some renewed sense of kinship with one another and the people we share that world with. So I think to call ourselves together tonight, um, yeah, I don't think we'll have to think quickly about what the context is that might make us need to acknowledge some things that we brought in with us this evening. So uh, there's bold parts for you to respond, and I will read the not bold parts. So litany of acknowledgement. We pause this day to recognize that there are many among us who have been wounded by violence, exploitation, coercion, manipulation. There are many who need support and healing, who need their voices heard, their stories acknowledged, and their experiences validated. The weight of oppression is heavy, and the effects of trauma are real and long-lasting. We pause this day to recognize all of us are affected by the culture of violence. All of us are affected by the culture of impatience and hostility in which we live. By listening to one another, may it become instruments for justice and peace. May it be so. Amen. And out of that space, I invite you into a few moments of centering silence. These would be times to center yourself, what you're bringing with you to God's inevitable presence in this space and the presence of each of us with one another. Amen. Uh, Rodi, do you want to, are you going to lead us from down there this week? It is the last week. It is the last so week. Is our chance to do it. Let's do it. Rody's been teaching us this lovely community song that all of us have grown to love. And yes. Have you been? Have you grown to love it? Of course. Of course. All right. Let's try singing it together. For everyone born, they set the table. For everyone born, we water and bread. A shelter, a space, a safe place for growing. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and kids, is this the last night of tables? Did we decide that? Okay, and what does that look like for the kids? We're doing Esther, and that's all I'm going to tell you right now. It's a cliffhanger. And as they go, uh, yeah, announcements, things happening at Emmaus Way, um, a very significant thing happening this coming weekend, this coming Saturday, is that we are, after planning for a good long while, we're going to be throwing a celebration for our uh, longtime founding pastor figure, Tim Condor, um, to celebrate the 13 years that he gave to this community and, yeah, all the things that that's meant for a whole, whole lot of people. Uh, and, yeah, we've got some lovely people who have been working very hard to make sure this is going to be a wonderful gathering. And, yeah, I will let maybe one of them say, is there anything last minute that we're inviting people to? Yeah. Several ways, yeah, that we can, yeah, help celebrate someone who, yeah, there would be no Mayus Way, there would be no me here at Mayus Way, there would be not a lot of things um, that have to do with the Mayus Way without that peculiar man. Um, yeah. I was with him yesterday, and it was just like, yep, there he is, he's still, he's still him, he's still him, yeah. Uh, yeah, anything else? Um, yeah. So can Durham can there's a Metro Council meeting on Thursday. We have a really exciting public action coming up on October 27th um, around kind of judges and court fees. Um, but another really big opportunity is a Mayus Way between now and October 15th. We need five people to go online to Durham Can and set up a recurring donation of $5.00. It could be more, but $5 a month, five people in this community. There's a large group of us that are already recurring donors, um, but CAN has this matching grant, and they've been gracious and have extended it for CAN to be able to reach it. Um, but every member institution is supposed to get five more folks. So if you, tonight or tomorrow, um, just go to Durham CAN, I think it's dot org. And if you do sign up as a recurring donor, shoot me or Tim with an email just so we kind of know um, our numbers there and can let can know that. Um, but that's one way that an immediate need they have. So we organize people in power. If you've never, yeah, and that's a yeah, if you've never been to a basic Durham can sort of training type, yeah. That's really, it's, a, it's the core of CAN, is this powerful idea that people and money and power and the way you want to see the world are all like really magically intertwined. Not even magically, they're just intertwined. So yeah. Wonderful to support that. And anything else? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say, I'm 
anything else, there was something. I had something. I lost it. So with that, Elizabeth is going to come up and invite us further into this evening. So usually at this point we have songs of preparation, but tonight it's going to be the question of preparation. Um, about five weeks ago, we introduced this idea of um, bearing witness and reclaiming kinship. And we're going to continue to talk about that for the whole year, but for the past five weeks we've been talking about coming around tables. Um, and so you have the question here, um, what has bearing witness, reclaiming kinship around tables these past five weeks been like for you? So this could be our table gatherings outside of Sunday night. This could be gathering around our Eucharist table. This could be gathering here, something else that you've been thinking about regarding tables. This is the time for folks to process, share, connect with each other on these ideas. I think when you have a crowded calendar or crowded schedule and you're trying to fit a new thing in, it, um, it requires that you kind of think about what are the tables that it's important for me to show up around. Like what are, what are my priority tables and what are my optional tables? For me, um, our group got together this morning, and this was true of an, another time when we gathered. Um, something that struck me was um, our conversation around um, what we bring to the table or what we need when we come to the table. Um, and um, that's something I'm still processing, thinking through. So one of the things that we've talked about is like kind of get the kids more involved at Amazing because we have so many of them. And at our group, there's a lot of kids. Um, and I just love, like it's so, it brings out such a different side of the adults when the kids are doing things that they shouldn't be doing or that's just funny. <laughs> and like, I don't know, I just love when you're not like segregated off by your age. Um, and so that's been really fun to me to see like the different personalities of the kids and the adults that come out when you get to be all together. I'm sure that you know, these kinds of times have you know value for people who don't have kids. But for me, as a parent, one of the nicest things about this, our groups, and we've met a couple times so far, is just that when, you know, when we come on Sunday, 
um, it's, it, it can be pretty chaotic. And so sometimes I get here and I leave with feeling like I didn't really even talk to anybody. Um, and so it's really nice to have the sort of extended connection time to get to know people better. And I think it sort of enriches the, <clears throat> not just those times, but also um, being here on Sundays too. And, and so that's, that's been nice. I think a table that, um, so our table is being this evening, which I'm excited about. Luckily, James remained for Brad because I had an utter failure in making it this afternoon. But mine definitely was not. Um, but yesterday, thinking about a table that a bunch of amazing folks came around was a table with water, bottled water, and though imperfect, right? Not the most sustainable getting out bottled water. Um, we were coming around for Pride um, with Calvary Night Methodist Church and Emmaus Way. There were like eight or ten of us there from Emmaus Way and just interacting and giving sustenance to these folks who, and like, so often are diminished and not loved. And to be a part of a church that says you are a person of worth and here is water for your weary throat and soul. It's just so beautiful. And like, it was just a cardboard table with a bunch of plastic water, right? Like plastic water bottles. But the life and the joy and just thinking about, um, here's a table that these two churches set. And um, how many tables, so many of those marching in pride and there that day have been excluded. Yet here was a very small table of welcome. Just has me thinking about other tables that um, can be created and people can come around. Um, and really, we just hopped on to Calvary because I thought it'd be a lot of fun. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, that was a really beautiful table yesterday that a lot of us were able to come around. Some of us were. What about, um, has anybody, we, we've still open for folks talking about um, table groups. Um, so Molly um, brought up another table. Have, has our conversation <laughs> um, led anybody to think about other tables that you're a part of um, that aren't Emmaus Way tables? Um, I've thought a lot about the lunch table <laughs> because um, <clears throat> I was in the walking through uh, when two of my kids actually were passing um, in the lunchroom and I, I was just, I was looking at the faces of the kids as they're sitting down and um, there was just such joy there. It's like their unstructured time to be together. And um, there was just, I mean, it's loud in there, but it's because they're excited because they get to be together and talk and 
enjoy each other and um and since we've been talking about tables I mean it made me think about gosh what would it be like to be part of a table that's that, <laughs> that has that much energy that much excitement that much kinship um anyway I sit around the OF conference tables <laughs> but um I'm in the structure of the conference table I sit around downstairs where the big wigs are and it's all white men and I've been really frustrated lately of just they're one side of you in the world and then on um, Wednesday this week I have a farm workers program and all of my educators were in and Cynthia was there and we all went out to eat and to this incredible place where one of them works and it was their table it was totally their table and it was the only white person at the table but it was so much fun and just they're so young for one thing which is so exciting because they're not old they're young and they're innovative and they're just excited and they're so committed to helping their like spending the night in you know like um places where people are going to you know what's the word shelters thank you <laughs> my place. But you know, they're just they're just trying to help and translate and do whatever they can do and they um just all in that you know it's such a conviction for me. Mm -hmm. You know my job is to keep the money flowing to me, but <laughs> I don't know, it just felt such a <laughs> Well, we'll be continuing this conversation, but right now is the time where we pass the peace, um, speak to the people around you, whether you know them or not, extend the peace of Christ, grab a snack or a cup of decaf. Sorry, we're out of, <laughs> we're out of regular. <laughs> but um, peace of Christ. Awesome. If everyone would um, come back to the middle, um, this tonight, so it is a no music Sunday, so we're going to have a continued dialogue around tables and what we see in this text and what we've been experiencing um, these past five weeks, as well as what we think some invitation might be. And then we have a more creative call together, but just want to like assure people, um, the not call to gather, confession. I want to assure people, James, before I left, he said, are you going to make us talk in small groups tonight? We are not, so <laughs> don't stress. I often know no music Sundays. People are like, oh no, small groups. Um, just just take a deep breath. So there are, there are no small groups. Um, no required talking unless you want to, okay? Um, just want to assuage any fears. Um, but we're just going to dive into this last text about um, encounters around table. I find it to be a really rich text and an interesting one to sort of end, kind of in this particular series around tables on, but to sort of open up for us as we continue to lean into bearing witness and reclaiming kinship. Um, but a few things to note before we dive into this Lucan text. Um, whenever we start, whenever we pick up on verse 7, we're already at a dinner. Jesus has entered in the, into the home of a prominent Pharisee. 
Um, and he has already healed a man, and that's created some controversy. But we're sort of in the middle. We're coming in in the midst of a dinner scene. Um, and Jesus knows that he's being put on the spot by coming to this dinner, but chooses to come and come around this table anyway. And it's really imperative to remember, as we've discussed, that um, just as many of our tables today have rules and social constructs and hierarchy around them, like Susan's great example of conference tables with all white older men uh, as one, um, the same was true for these tables. Um, little was left to chance, and tables that folks came around for table fellowship determined one's social location in pretty prominent ways. Um, I was doing some reading, of, and I love of around tables, and Pliny the Younger uh, says this about a dinner he attended, so he was born in 6180, so kind of a little later, but around the same time, and, and he said about this dinner, some very elegant dishes were served up to myself and a few more of the company, with those which were placed before the rest were cheap and paltry. The host had a portion in small vessels, three different sorts of wine, though you were not supposed to guess which was the best. But the one was for himself, and it was the best. The next for his friend and myself, the second. And the lower order, the third, wine was for those of his own freedmen and mine. Not that good. So, table continues to be a place of hierarchy, order, socially constructed ways of being. And yet, into all these realities, we have Jesus once again coming around these tables and doing what he does. So, would someone read the text for us? It's a bit long, but I think you all can do it. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor, in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please, please accept my regrets. <laughs> Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. 
So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what do you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to his slave, Go out into the roads and lanes, and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. Thanks so much, Clinton. So, in this text, um, there are two different parables that we've just read that Jesus told. But I'm curious, what particularly strikes you about one or the other parable, or both? Um, where is there tension for you, or kind of some curiosity around what Jesus was thinking when he was talking about new ways of being about tables? But yeah, what strikes you about this text, these two parables describing table encounters? For the second one seems kind of expected, something that Jesus would say. But the first one strikes me because it seems more like a life hack. Than like a <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate. Like, he's like, here's what you should try to save yourself some embarrassment. Don't sit here. Yeah. Sit there. And then you won't get embarrassed. And but also, like, for a really selfish reason. Like, if you sit at the lowest spots, so then you'll be exalted in front of everyone. No matter what happens, even if you move just a little bit, you're guaranteed that you're almost bound to move up. But can you also imagine the room that he's telling this to? It's a room of white old guys sitting around a table that have always had power, right? I mean, and his disciples, some were there too, but like the demon, totally, it's like a life hack and like, yeah, but like the thought of any of them becoming last, I don't. Do you, I don't know, do you all like to like sit at the lowest end of a table or like in ranking be last? Well, I think it's just funny how he couches it like, not sit last because you're not as important as you think you are, but sit last so that you might be recognized and disgraced. <laughs> that is true, yeah. Told to move up rather than ask to move down. Yeah. I guess it's just really hard for me to imagine that any of them, even if even if having the possibility of being honored later and exalted, would actually leave their position in place of power. Um, to like for the possibility that they might be exalted. Yes. Do you think it's kind of more like a like a midway kind of low blow jab at like you know just you know, people are gonna take that advice? You know? Yeah, like, I don't know, know, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, and maybe right in true in true transparency, I think I'm like reading this text and sort of the dynamics and realities of um, the past week. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was Jesus kind of being like, we'll see if they'll take this advice. But maybe he really thought they might, you know, and was hoping. And maybe Jesus knew how hard it is for those gathered and like speaking for me um, and for perhaps for some of you that it is to 
move ourselves intentionally into places of insignificance. Um, like how hard that is. And so maybe he was trying to encourage them and say, but if you do this, I promise you, you will in fact actually be exalted, right? So both like chastising and wanting to flip power, but also recognizing how all of us need some grace and encouragement as we are flipping and changing ways of being. But well, you're know. right that there's a little bit of risk too, like maybe they wouldn't take this move because they might not want to take the risk that nobody would come and tell them to move yeah. on. Yeah. And that's probably true for us as well. There's always that risk that you do something great and you didn't post about it on Instagram and nobody notices that you did it. So yeah. You're still at the low end of the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. That's any others? What strikes you? about these two parables, what they're saying about tables. So the, the verse 13 bugged me this time more than it has in the past. Um, and I'm trying to reframe it based off of what you were saying, Molly, but like, invite the poor, crippled, the lame, and the blind, not because they're cool people to hang out with, or you'll learn something from them, or because of the meek and hair of the earth, or whatever, because like, you'll be blessed and they'll, they can't repay you. It, it almost feels like they have nothing to offer, mm-hmm. which I'm like, that's probably not what he's saying, but when I heard it, that was my initial like, ugh, that sounds gross. Like, but I, I imagine it's probably heavier on the like, if you're gonna invest in something, what are you investing in? I, I, I don't know how to reframe that yet, but. Jairus, I feel like that's what I grew up hearing in church. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a lot to offer the other, Um, but you know, it's 
there were multiple things that struck me about this. One was, and I'm not trying to be funny, it just, it's true. Uh, I should have read the second page. It was incredibly uncomfortable to say the word slave over and over. I did not enjoy it. That was not a fun part of this. Um, that, uh, you know, it just the realities of the situation really hit you when you have to read that. And you're like, you know, this is something I, I, that makes my life around it that it just sort of hits you in the face. Um, but, uh, you know, with all of these, the, like, we take it and we're like, yeah, Jesus was this cool dude who's, like, very, you know, he loved, he loved everybody. And then we read it and we're like, no, we're being asked to do something that's, you know, we're not going to do, right? We, we all just had table groups that we didn't go find people that weren't invited and say, hey, you can come join us too, right? And, and not that we're bad people for not doing that. We just probably didn't think of it, right? You read this and you're like, I'm being asked into something much more radical than, than what I imagine. Um, and the last line made me smile because I'm, I want to use it whenever my kids don't come to the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start yelling that at them. And see how that goes. I want to go back to I, I to what Jay Russ said, and I'm, I'm kind of going to go with with Aaron again. I I think Jesus may have been making like a taking him like a you know just kind of a, a jab at uh, the people when he was saying. And you're going to have to go hang out with the least of these people who don't have a lot of money, and you're not going to get any money out of it. And it kind of goes back to what Susan was saying about true kinship. There's no true kinship. And he just knows it and just takes a cut out of it. And it's like, well, you're going to have to hang out with these people, but you're not going to benefit from it monetarily. It's just almost like he just jabs them with it. And so. The relationships that Jesus is talking about here, right, is it's... It kind of flips or it challenges this notion of transaction, right? And why you are in, are we in relationship with one another um, because somebody can offer us something? Are we in relationship and come around certain tables um, because we have no other, there aren't any other more enticing transactions and possibilities around, right? Um, but it's weird, I don't know, what's weird to me about this is that it's not like go hang out with these people and then your life will be like fuller. It's like, you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. I don't know, it's still about like you winning, which just feels weird yeah. to me. No, and so a lot of scholars don't really, um, this is how you know texts are challenging and how the church doesn't like to talk about them. So this text isn't in the lectionary. It picks up, so it picks up at verse, uh, the second parable is, at verse 15. Part of that often can be found in the lectionary, but the first half isn't. Um, because it is really troubling and causes a lot of tension and friction around what did Jesus mean by being blessed, right? And what, um, yeah, and I think this text also often has been used to Sarah's kind of point of like to create systems of hierarchy and power over, right? Like we are, <laughs> we are more righteous and holy because we are taking pity on um, you and so, yeah, it is kind of troubling. Oh, I, thought I so. would argue that people who really want to know what Jesus meant by the word blessed are going to be the people that don't do it anyway. Hmm. Elaborate a bit. Well, I, I mean, it's really fun to like come through your Bible and figure out what everything means. Yeah. Uh, but then, I mean. This is classic Jesus, 
that's right um, but I'm really curious um, kind of about right so both of these parables too I think what they require especially those that are privileged and have a lot of capital and a lot to gain as well as a, a lot to lose um, it's sort of like Jesus requiring something of them right to like become less less than to like lower yourself or actually to not use excuses like, I mean, really, it's family. Somebody was just married. Family, property, <laughs> I guess, feeding of keeping livestock alive. Um, but these, these very ordinary things that kept them from coming to this banquet, right? Kind of kept them from coming to this feast that the master had set out, right? And kind of the master and Jesus telling of this is God, Right? It's kind of like God has created for all of God's people, and here are all these excuses for why we're too busy, why these people are too busy to attend. And um, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, in talking about sort of tables as priority, does that resonate with you? Sort of this, what kind of, I guess, excuses do we tell ourselves our lived reality, um, but that kind of keep us from different tables that we've been exploring and talking about these past five weeks as we bear witness and reclaim kinship. Or maybe I was the only one who was like, oh yeah, I make excuses all the time. Thoughts on that? Say that again. Kind of excuses, what excuses do we make? like the people who are invited to this banquet that keep us from tables of really um, beautiful encounter and possibility that God um, is inviting us into, that we, yeah, just, or, yeah, or like friends or, you know, however you want to think about whoever the inviter is. Um, do you think we make excuses? And if so, what are some of them? Pretty famous for putting it back on that person. Mm -hmm. Like, 
something that I do um, appreciate um, about these two parables and I think sort of in how Jesus talks about flipped expectation and assumption and um, I think often or maybe for me and thinking about tables or what tables to be a part of or what might be more life-giving. Like, I keep on thinking about Elizabeth's table with the lunch kids and the joy. And like, I need more tables to come around more tables like that or to be a part of tables like that. Um, And I think at least whenever I create excuses, it's I'm creating excuses because I think everything that is already set in my life has to stay that way. Right? But what if it's also an invitation to start having the freedom? Because all these encounters, especially in the Gospel of Jesus, is shifting expectation, right? And shifting, well, things, yeah, like things always have to be this way because it's the way they always were, right? But what does it mean if, no, actually, um, if you feel like you have to come around a table and have be support for someone who you love deeply but need to take some space from so that you actually can be in a relationship or have come find sustenance that's more life-giving like maybe you maybe you shift some of that around um 
maybe you shift. Yeah, like I was thinking today of how I really need to shift moving, getting my dialogue done before Sundays because there was a protest that I really wanted to go and show up for, but I was trying to figure out uh, reading this text, right? So just kind of like, what does it mean to shift certain aspects of our lives? And that that is an invitation in addition to ridding ourselves or being bold to not live into some excuses. I don't know. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it's just something I've been thinking of. And I don't have kids. We do not have children. I don't know what it's like to have a child and have to keep a child alive. It's hard enough to keep a dog alive. Um, But there does seem in life (laughs) that we are set on this path, and it's really hard to try to, like, step off or, like, take another way, right? Because of all of these pressures. And I think what Jesus is just saying is like, what if you try? What if you try to be last? What if you try to like get out of the rat race? What if you just try? I think you might be surprised at what happens because there's actually a banquet waiting and it's been waiting. And you're just trying to keep living this rat race life. I think that that's really the heart of bearing witness and reclaiming kinship is like trying to get a bit off of the rat race in which we find ourselves. Yeah, Brett? I think I have two thoughts for competing. Like, I didn't really resonate as much with excuses. I guess these are, these are excuses, but um, I think of it more as like risks. Yeah. Um, and the risks of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And kind of the two sides of that is is that that inner voice that says like I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. or people don't really care what I have to say, or I'm not good, or what I have to say is not good enough, yeah. um, or smart enough, um, especially in kind of academic circles, which we kind of are in somewhere in academic circle, um, and so that's like all that self doubt, and um, and then even shame kind of comes along with that, um, and then the other side of that is like you know I mean like once you are vulnerable enough that there's you know, possibility of rejection or um, that, that, you know, people, you know, yeah, they might, that people might see you for who, you're, for who you really are um, and then not want to be part of that. So those are just two things that kept kind of going, kind of resonating, running in my mind. Thanks for that. Because, right, it takes, there's great risk in opening yourself to the possibility of being known, right? It's a lot easier to um, interact with someone and ask how they're doing, but not really care about the answer, or not really care about the answer that you give or receive, but then to actually pause and be like, no, really, how are you? And hear a piece of themselves. Thanks for that. So tonight, um, we're kind of gonna have like 10 minutes of space for reflection as our confession time. Um, And what we're doing is we are going to come around some tables. And on these five tables, the round ones, um, you will see four themes that we've talked about, about tables, kind of table as place of kindness, 
Um, table as place of anger, table as place of radical encounter, table as place of flipped assumption. And then we have a fifth table that is blank and just has butcher paper on it. And what we are inviting you into is just take some time to free write, draw, pray, meditate around these tables. Whatever table you find yourself continually making an excuse for, perhaps not going to, or are afraid to take a risk to come around that table, um, or a confession and space to just say, oh God, um, help my unbelief, my fear, my question, my uncertainty, whatever it may be. Um, but we thought, as we continue to move forward in bearing witness and reclaiming kinship, it's really important for all of us to recognize that um, we are not alone in our struggling and in our wondering and in our confessing. Um, yeah, that we are not alone in it being really hard to taste and see the good news and the banquet that is set before us um, and the tables in which we are invited around. So that's what we're going to do. So everybody kind of understand confession. Um, you can pick one table if you want. You can go to all of them. And the blank one, in true Emmaus way, I, I didn't want to tell you that you had to go to one of four. So there's an open space that you can choose your own adventure. Um, but it's, I believe, anger and then radical encounter in the blank page here. And then we have um, flipped assumptions and kindness over there. Um, but yeah, just take some time to reflect, confess what's been hard about coming around table. What do you hope for? Take this space to be whatever you want it to be. Um, so yeah, we'll take about 10 minutes or so and then I will, and as you finish, you can come back to the middle and then we'll have a time of absolution. So let us confess. If, if you would um, kind of wrap up your confessions, And before I read um, Jan Richardson's And the Table Will Be Wide as our absolution tonight, um, I just want to remind us that we do not come around tables to confess alone. We are in this imperfect work of bearing witness, reclaiming kinship together, always. Even in all of our faults, 
brokenness, questions, failings, risk averseness. The grace found at the table of God that was set in the parable that we read today and is set before us is always wider and more expansive, brimming with love and second chances. So hear now these words of absolution, the table to which we are all invited. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive, and we will come as children who trust there is enough, and we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame. And we will turn toward each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing and everywhere will be the feast. So I mostly forgot that I was supposed to invite you to the table tonight, which, yeah, and there are no songs, and so, yeah, what will I say? But I wanna try something, um, and that is to put us in this second parable tonight. Let us imagine that someone has given a great dinner and invited many. Everybody many. And at the time for the dinner, a slave, maybe someone that looks like me, um, came to say to all those who were invited, come for everything is ready now. And they began to make excuses. They'd bought something. They had another commitment. There were oxen somehow involved. Um, They'd just been married, just found some other space of meaning that seemed to make that table look a little more significant. And then the slave returned and reported to his master and said, you know, the owner of the house, he became angry and he said, well, go out at once and find the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame and all the people who weren't supposed to be at that table, so thought. And what if then all those people came? What if the people left who didn't come? What were they waiting on? Were they any less welcome? If they had showed up just in time to catch what they missed, what would they have encountered at that table with all of these people who came in their stead. I think if we thought about that for very long at all, in the context of this open table, we would have a great deal to reflect upon and say, who's been invited here that caught it before we did? All the time we were talking about it, who was here waiting to receive us because we were too busy? Who got the message we didn't get What's keeping us from coming? 
this table is, it's that good news, and it's that easy to miss, and it's coming up every single week and reminding us of both those things. And so I invite you to this table tonight to pour wine for each other, to pour juice for each other, to break bread or a cracker for each other, and consider the wildness of this table that was for everybody. And what kept us from coming sooner? And what keeps us from coming with the fullness of what we have to bring, our questions, our imagination? Who might we meet here or at a table this open that we would become comfortable meeting? And what good news is being told? What blessing is being given in the midst of that kind of table? I don't know, but I have some ideas. I'm guessing you have some ideas too. So let's come around this table with that imagination tonight. You are most welcome. The God of all love. That God is waiting for you here tonight. Welcome to the table.